When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today as ever is Mr Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks Dan. We're, uh, I think we've all got our new kit now so hopefully everyone can hear us. Mm-hmm. We're not on yeah. our sort of tin, uh, tin microphones anymore. We've finally reached the professional, professional podcasting area, haven't we? Absolutely long overdue. Maybe we'll get your camera sorted next so you're not just an absolute motion blur in the top oh, right corner of my screen. But it's baby steps, <laughs> isn't it? Baby steps. And also with me today, of course, is Mr. Sam Mikowski. Sai, how's thee? Yeah, good. All the better for hearing you in such wondrous clarity and volume. <laughs> oh yeah, I've shown my dulcet tones. I've never sounded so good. Good, and I'd tell you someone who might have been sounding a little bit better than he did last week um, at the weekend, it was Pep Guardiola, because City um, kind of responded to his harsh criticism um, after a win, no less, and to defeat Wolves at the weekend 3-0. It was, um, you know, it was a comprehensive display, Si, a hat-trick from Erling Haaland, and, you know, good times are back, question mark? <laughs> yeah, it was a funny performance, because I think, they kind of struggled to to break Wolves down initially and we're all thinking, oh, this is continuation of the same uh, same themes that they've had and they're, they're not quite able to break down these defences and then they, they do and it became sort of like, well, they've responded to Guardiola and they probably could have played that game, you know, that identical game back in September and it would have been a different form. We'd say, oh, they blew Wolves away, they blitzed them. It was was easy whereas it's um you just always tempted to to fall into whatever the um the most immediate context is um i thought it was a much better performance than than tottenham um but at the same time it was kind of only made better by the confidence that goals bring city were miles better after that first goal um once harland had given them the lead they were they were there and you know, Wolves gifted them the the second and the third goals really to um, to end the contest early in the second half. And from then on, you're just thinking, just keep the clean sheet, keep it. You know, don't don't concede. And uh, you've had a very good, good afternoon, and they had. So um, 
yeah, three three comfortable and much needed points from. Mm, Joe, you agree? Kind of a, a noticeable improvement on Thursday's game. Well, I think Guardiola said it that the performance was largely the same. I probably agree with him. They, they started well. They started like they'd been publicly called out a few days before, and then maybe it dipped a little. But you know, the city's quality is always going to come through, and and that showed with uh, a pretty simple but a very well executed first goal with you know switching the play to Mares and uh, he then passed it back to De Bruyne who found himself unmarked and, and Haaland was never ever going to miss that that header and like Sai says that after that the confidence was there Wolves had to come out C- City do this after getting a first goal if they can get that first goal is they can then control the game they can pick the opposition off when when they have to decide do we settle on a on on losing or do we come out and try and get something and i think wolves played the part in a a decent test but city were always one or two steps ahead of them and yeah guardiola said after the game didn't he that it was an okay response it was better but let's let's see what happens and i, I think that's probably where city are at after the week they've had it I got the feeling everyone was quite happy to have a, a lot more of a low-key win than uh, than what we had after after Tottenham, which was sort of unheralded. And uh, you know, Guardiola was really keen to to tell everyone what he thought, but it was uh, a lot more of a routine day at the office, I think, on uh, on Sunday, and and much needed because City really need three, any three points they can get at the moment. Um, I know you've already done a podcast after the Tottenham game and probably discussed Guardiola's. Um little rant in full, but I wasn't on it, so I do kind of want to retread old ground a little bit, because I remember I was um, on the blogging duty back at home on that, and then even his Sky Sports interview, which I believe um, you'd heard about before Guardiola kind of turned up, I know I was hastily messaging Joe about it, it was classic must-see telly when he was just kind of going off on anyone, and I couldn't kind of believe some of the words that were coming out of his mouth at points, I know Guardiola certainly had little pops at the fan base before, especially like kind of Champions League nights, I don't think Guardiola's ever agreed with how City fans kind of don't respect the Champions League as much as he does, or hold it, at least hold it in such high regard. Maybe that's changed a bit in the in the years since City have gone close. But you know, you two were in the room, and Sai, like, how how you know, in brief, how how mad was it seeing him kind of like that, especially after such a good win? Maybe not a good performance, but certainly a good win, and a, what I thought was a galvanising one because before Guardiola um, came on, Grealish and Mares were doing the uh, their interviews, and they both seemed in very high spirits and were happy to kind of get the win. So to kind of it seemed like all rosy, and to bring the blood and thunder, maybe it was a, a right time to kind of really relay down the law and be like, yeah, you've won, but this is still isn't isn't good enough. Yeah, I think um, the. <laughs> I can't remember who asked it, but they kind of hit the nail on the head after about 10 minutes when they were just like, why are you telling us this? Because, you know, it's not the first time Guardiola... Sam Lee, I believe it was. Right, yeah, Sam. Um, It's not the first time I've had sort of Guardiola ranting at the players in the dressing room um, at halftime, full-time of games and, you know, threatening all kinds of things. But he doesn't then come into the press conference and and say the same or repeat it or anything like that. Whereas it was just bizarre to hear him sounding off and off and off um, in his bewildering way, really, um, about, yeah, everything. He was he was unhappy with, with the team. And, you know, it. Um, he, he would always rather do it after a win rather than a, a defeat. But it did kind of feel like, you know, you've just beaten Tottenham 4-2. You've sort of come back with four second-half goals and 
and you're absolutely slaughtering the team. And also the sort of the contrast with the day before where he'd said not much was up, but all of it was his fault and he would take full responsibility and sort it out and then just straight back on the players. So, um, yeah, it's certainly Guardiola got everything off his chest. Um, you wonder, you know, how how the reaction will be. I thought there was an interesting um, point on his match of the day on Sunday because um, when we spoke about this last week, I said, you know, Guardiola with the fans, it kind of felt like he wasn't that bothered about the booing. And he, yeah, he came out on, on Sunday and said, I would rather they boo than be silent. So that is, you know, I I, I can get that. Um, he just wants a reaction from anyone and everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's much wrong with booing or kind of showing you discontent, too, obviously to an extent. Um, they were awful and in that first half against Tottenham, really, really below par. And sometimes that can be a much-needed um, wake-up call. And I think, I believe Joe pointed out to me, at the start of the second half, City fans were, you know, had shown the discontent and were back kind of, well, to support him to a degree. I don't know if Guardiola may not agree, given his given his words um, afterwards. But, you know, Joe, he, he got the reaction, I presume, he got the reaction that he kind of wanted to see, at least, um, both from the players and, and the fans on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. And... I- Normally, I mean, in the past when Guardiola's had a go at the fans and maybe criticised them, it's not always gone down well. It's sort of been a a bit of an uneasy ground. It's not really spoken of that sort of relationship between Guardiola and maybe that he always wants a little bit more from the fans. But this time, there seems to be an acceptance that, yeah, do you know what? We can be a little bit better. Maybe we have got a bit complacent. Um, obviously, there were... We, we spoke in the last podcast, which um, sounds like you didn't listen to, Dan, but uh, we we did cover that uh, the ticket prices... Uh, shocking. Un- unforgivable. But, but the, the ticket prices for the Tottenham game were ridiculously expensive and a very expensive week for, for two two home games in, in four days. And I, I did notice quite deliberately from the start against Wolves that the fans were a lot noisier. They were sort of going through the songbook and... Uh, you know, that, that stand-up for the champ, Champions champ, which gets everyone up and can try and sort of encourage a bit more of an atmosphere. They did, Guardiola did get that response and, yeah, there was a little bit of a lull in the in the first half, but the play sort of slowed down as well. And that, that's the old, the old debate of, you know, you want fans to give you support, but they also need something to support and something to get behind. Um, but at, equally, there were times where the crowd did sort of respond and try and cheer up the players and support them. And it sounded like Guardiola's message did get through, which is a positive. And the fact that he can sort of air those criticisms and it's received in the way that it was intended, um, it's, it's got to be a positive. And yeah, the, there is always going to be work that can be done at, at any stadium. And, you know, home support, Guardiola said this, home support is never the same as away support for, for many reasons. But no, I, I did think there was a, a response, certainly from the fans and, and from the players as well. The, the, the little things like the other night, he criticised the fact that no one defended Rico Lewis and, and that Tottenham players were surrounding the referee. It was very noticeable that as soon as John Stones was trying to win a penalty from a, a corner in the first few minutes that all the players then surrounded the referee and if, if they've taken those, those little things on board that can sort of sort of manufacture the fire and passion that, that he wants and it, it seems like the message was, was definitely definitely heard and he might not, he, he will want to see the, the reaction over a longer period of time but um, yeah, the, the short term effects seem to have been that 
people have people have heard what Guardiola has, has said and, and want to give him that response. Yeah, I think what kind of was kind of more striking about Guardiola's comments is that just a few months ago, um, the second to last game before the World Cup, wasn't it the Fulham win when they won with ten men late on, etc. I believe he praised the uh, the fight the players were showing and the, the you know the passion and not the, the desire and those untangibles that he clearly demands more of. So. For it to have changed so quickly in just a few months and even less games considering the break, is it a concern even though it may have had a response side? Or is it literally was it literally just the most um kind of heavy handed motivational technique, you know, we've seen in recent times from Guardiola? No, I think that is the concern. You know, he, he praised them after the Liverpool and Leeds games after the restart, then they were not great against Everton. Um then he praised them after Chelsea. And then they were abysmal against Southampton. And is that kind of like too much boom and bust, basically? Um, you know, it's almost it's almost like United-esque of the last few years where it's like, oh, we've won a game, we're back. Oh, no, we've lost one. Never mind. Um, mm. it's, it, it's that kind Emotional of... Emotional extremes. Yeah, and just getting carried away with yourselves. And that's never really been City um, under Guardiola and that kind of... You know, he'll allow an off day, but he won't allow two off days in three or three in four. Um, and I think basically his worry was that we would all, you know, the players would hear loads of praise because they'd beaten Tottenham 4-2. And, oh, if you beat Wolves on Sunday, then you're two points off Arsenal. How good are you? Um, and what he actually wanted to say was, if we play like we've done against Tottenham, every week will be nowhere near top spot. So that's that's what he wanted the players to hear because, you know, City have gone on many, many long winning runs under his tenure and he would say that at this point they're nowhere near being able to go on one. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. certainly be interesting and we'll find out in good time but let's kind of go to the win that they did have two at least that is a run I suspect, um, of some degree at least 3-0 against Wolves as we say and it was a hat-trick for Erling Haaland his ridiculous goal scoring record kind of gets back on track following his following his equaliser against Tottenham another three here takes his talent to the season already up to 31 in just 26 league games he's now scored more goals in the league than last season's top goal scorer managed you know, after the United match and the Southampton match, Joe, there was the, I think, not just kind of senseless talk, but kind of well-reasoned criticism or questions of whether the inclusion of Haaland has kind of stunted what City did so well. But when he can stick away three chances like that easily enough and you win like that, it doesn't, well, again, it doesn't matter in those games. It's in the other ones where those questions will undoubtedly rise again at some point. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to question how City's players changed and when they're not winning, then it's more noticeable that perhaps they don't have as clear a plan B. 
as as they have done in the past. But as Plan A's go, then Erling Haaland's pretty much a guarantee of goals. And uh, you know, the fact that his longest run without a goal was about two and a half games tells you just how good and, and how effective he's been. Guardiola said it after the game. He said, "Well, when he's not scoring, he's the problem, and when he is scoring." He's the solution, and he's he's the best thing. That, I mean, his record what thirty one goals already, and and twenty five in the league is just ridiculous. And uh, I think Opta said it's he's had uh, twenty five goals in the Premier League from one hundred and fifty shots. Um, no, sorry, seventy four shots. It was Aguero who got that in one hundred and fifty shots. So you know he's he's scoring a goal every three shots, which is is ridiculous. And another thing Guardiola said was that. You know, he's not going to drop deep. He can do. He did the other day and he did it okay. But the challenge then is when space opens up in the midfield to to play those balls into him and feed those runs that he will always do. And he did against United, but the pass went sideways instead of forward. And it it seems like there's still a little bit of work to do in working out when to play those passes and, and how to, to sort of adapt to, to a striker like him. But the, the fact will always remain that as long as you put a ball in the box he's going to get there and again we had another another opposition defender come out and say if he's in the box we can't defend against him because he's always got that movement and he's always there and the the, the only way to stop him is is by stopping the team and stopping the build-up so it's, it's becoming a regular occurrence that when he scores these goals that people are saying you can't stop him and you know as Guardiola said he's you can't drop him you, you, you simply mm. can't drop him and while there are sort of okay fair fair debates over whether you know how how you play around him and and how you fit him in your team and has he made the team better when he's scoring goals of you can't drop him it's it's as simple as that it certainly is and you know we talked at length last week Sai, about the need to just get the ball to Haaland that's kind of what I changed from the first half of the season to the second that that those the the kind of the supply line had been disrupted but either be it if with Jose Sar's assistance or um, a brilliant Kevin De Bruyne across the ball was getting back into Haaland's region, his head and his feet and every body part he can score goals with and the results were clear to see so it just seems to me as a layman like you keep the balls getting into Haaland in that kind of region in front of the goal and more often than not it's going to end up in the back of the net Yes you know, I don't know what game you would want to win where you would think, I know what I'll do, I'll not start Erling Haaland Um, especially when, you know, you have got the the um the players to to deliver the balls into him and you know I always say City are worse when they're not creating chances rather than when they're not finishing them and you know recent performances they've not been creating chances so you know Haaland is many things but if you're not giving him anything then he's not going to finish um whereas as Wolf shows he um he's very very clinical when when he puts it away like it's yeah, I, I I get why there's this, you know, debate around Haaland, but it's kind of a a non-starter for me just because, you know, until you get to the point where you think, right, well, I'm not going to start Haaland for this game, then, it, you know, the, the point hasn't been made successfully. Um, and, yeah, I just think City need to start him every game he is. He is fit because he's going to win him loads and loads of games. Um, and it is scary to think of how many goals he could end up on this season. But if he's scoring one at every three shots, then, you know, Champions League semi-final, you might only get three shots. But 
he's going to be the one to score it. Well, I think that's the big difference. If you look, we, you know, we talked at length saying they only didn't have any shots on target against Southampton, just the one against United, the Grealish goal. And you compare that to, uh, and I think they had seven shots in total against Southampton and maybe five against United. Compare that to Wolves and then Tottenham as well. They've had six shots on target, Spurs, and I think 16 shots or 13. Wolves, it's the other way around, and seven shots on target. It's just all about that kind of volume, I think. And I, I think you're bang on. When they don't create chances, City... It, it, it becomes kind of a bit turgid and slow, like the kind of going through treacle. And you can tell City are not playing well when they end up resorting to shots from 25 yards from like Rodri odds, you know. And every now and then it works, as we've said before. Stones against Dortmund was the kind of the same kettle of fish when he banged it in from 25 yards, and suddenly the, the confidence is brewed and they, they go on to win. And the, the company won, obviously, against Leicester is the biggest example as well. It's when, obviously, not every one of those um, wildcard shots from 30 odd yards goes in, and it's all about. If the things aren't clicking going forward, they struggle. But where they are clicking, at least in the last two games, Joe, is on the flanks. We talked again on the last show how the front three we think should play. I was beaten to the punch by you two in claiming that Mares should start, and he has almost certainly justified that opinion because he was absolutely sublime in that second half against Tottenham. And then here again against Wolves, uh, an assist for that third goal, again, helped out by Jose Sarr. But We'll start with Mares. He's been brilliant since, well, even before the World Cup, as you've said a few times, but he's really, really finding his form now. And with Grealish playing really well as well, I don't see a return for Foden into the side at the minute, even if he wasn't injured. Yeah, and that was the thing. So we knew that Foden wasn't in the squad um, shortly before the team was announced, but it was pretty irrelevant because he probably wasn't going to play or start anyway because Grealish has been playing very, very well on that left-hand side. He's still sort of not providing the goals and assists as as frequently as they may like City may like, but he is creating a lot of chances, and he should have had an absolute stonewall penalty when when he took his man on and got his back leg kicked from kicked from underneath him. And how how the referee in VAR didn't give that a penalty, I'll I'll never know. But on on both sides, you've got Grealish and Mahrez in in really good form. They they fulfilling the game plan. It looks exactly as Guardiola wants. Mahrez is full of confidence. He can take players on. He can sort of play the pass back. He can put the crosses in at the moment. Um, he's he's scoring one-on-one goals. He, he had that goal that was ruled offside that was a, a good finish as well. And yeah, his, his his record is a goal or assist every pretty much every 90 minutes at the moment, which is an, another good guarantee that, that you're going to win more games than you lose when you, your wingers are doing things like that. And he seems to have a good relationship with, with Mahrez. He, he was never going to shoot in that situation for that third goal. He was always looking for, sorry, for, with Erling Haaland, he's, he was always looking where, where Haaland was. And now I think Mahrez is one of the success stories this season, especially considering how sort of poor he was. You know, he, he got praise sort of, of sorts in Guardiola's rant, but... He, Guardiola was still reminding everyone that he thought he was on holiday before the World Cup but no, since since he's come back from the World Cup he's he's been sort of un, unstoppable and yes, Foden you know, hasn't been great himself and now he's injured but I, I don't see how he gets in that squad at the moment unless one of those two um, you know, falls down in, in their form but that's always the challenge in a City team, you've got world class players ahead of you at, at every opportunity and you've got to show that you're better than them to, to start and if you're not on it then someone else is going to be Si, I know you tweeted out the numbers for both uh, Maris and Grealish and how, how impressed have you been by the pair? Yeah, increasingly impressed, um, I think the low point felt like the Everton home game 
on New Year's Eve um, when City was just so insipid. Um, but then, they, you know, they both came on at Chelsea and Grealish said after Guardiola had told them to sort of be more aggressive and go for it. And um, they they just seem to be coming on um, as a partnership really well. Um, you know, they both get on with each other a lot. They're kind of similar characters. Yeah, they're friends and, um, you know, they're, they're similar characters off the pitch and their their connection on the pitch is growing, you know, terrific ball from Grealish to Mares, who then knocks it back for De Bruyne for the, the first goal against Wolves. And um, I think what is really encouraging is like the golden assist that they're not getting. Um, you know, that they are producing each match, but still like, you know, Grealish could have had a penalty. Had one headed off the line, basically. Mares had one that he, you know, was only marginally offside for when De Bruyne slipped him through in the second half. So, so they are, you know, they their effort is more than kind of the simply the numbers. Um, and Grealish is certainly looking like a player who makes other players better, a bit like the Bernardo Silva type type mold, which means that you're not missing the likes of Bernardo and Foden. Um, which is, you know, about the biggest compliment you can pay him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, two players um, who are also kind of um, not being missed that much at present are the fullbacks, Charles Kinsella and Kyle Walker. Both didn't start again here, and Rico Lewis did, but was taken off at half-time, Joe. And then in his, in his place came Nathan Ake. He went to left-back um, with Laporte moving in um, to the centre after playing there in the first half. It's, it's, a, it's a peculiar one, this, how, um, you know, he... In the second half, Guardiola had four centre backs on the field in his defence, rather than trust either Walker or Cancelo to come on. It seems like quite a fall from grace when not even maybe three months ago they were basically undroppable in that side. Yeah, and Guardiola didn't sort of mention them by name, but when he was asked about sort of what was Rico Lewis injured, for example, he said no, it wasn't an injury. He just wanted a bit more solidity in in that uh, in that defence, and you know it, it was a little bit noticeable in the first half. Laporte doesn't naturally go forward sort of with the ball and, and then provide that overlap and, and he, he wasn't doing that maybe because you know he was aware that Adama Traore could have uh, left him for dead behind if, it, if the ball had been lost but you know it, it did seem like the, a couple of moves maybe broke down a little bit on that left-hand side and Guardiola wanted to make a change he mentioned solidity and, and sort of strengthening that defence but he's, he's then left uh, Jao Cancelo on the bench and brought Nathan Ake on. Now, he did obviously say that we cannot play well without Nathan Ake and then drop him, which was a, a little bit of a surprise. But the fact that Ake then came back and w- was the solution to that, that issue that Guardiola had clearly identified at left-back shows just, just how strong Ake's position is at the moment. And yeah, um, I mean, I thought Lewis did OK in the first half. And, you know, he got a, maybe a little bit more of a physical battle with uh, Huang of, of Wolves, but you know, he's he's got to learn to do that. And uh, it, if Guardiola thinks that he's not maybe coming into midfield as much, then he, he's got every right to make a change. Kanji did okay on, on the right. But, it, you know, he, he played 45 minutes with, with four centre-backs and no one batted an eyelid and, and, and City looked pretty good. And the fact that you've got two specialist centre-back, uh, full-backs on the bench and they have been there for some time, I think, in 19 of the last 20 games, City have gone for a different fullback pairing of Cancelo and Walker. Now, Walker was obviously injured for, I think, about 10 of those, but, you know, both are both are out of favour at the moment and they've got a battle on to, to get the place back. And 
I mean, as as long as Nathan Ake is playing as he is, then Cancelo isn't getting in on the left. And likewise with Lewis and and Akanji, they they seem to be offering a bit more sort of security than 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 Walker might. So yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. So you've got a few days off now between games, and you've got a cup game coming up. But um, no, it. it I think if you'd said at the start of the season that we'd be going into huge games in, in the new year with City needing to win pretty much every game they play now without Walker and or Cancelo, then we wouldn't have believed you. But this is the situation we're in. And it, mm. I mean, given all the context, it makes complete sense. You know, I said it when it was sold on this podcast and I, I kind of said it again on Sunday when I was watching Arsenal v United. The sale of kind of Alexinchenko, I thought was quite... I know City don't stand in the way of players who want to leave, etc. and so on. And, and rightly so, it's a nice thing. But I think they have kind of missed him this year in that left-back role. He's, he was never um, kind of a world-beater or anything, but he was always just a really dependable hand. And... Um, just a really good player as as he is showing for Arsenal now, and you know each his introduction in the final game of last season against Aston Villa did help turn the side there. But you know Nathan Ake, I think he, as you say Guardiola was had such high praise for him, and I think he's coming along really well. It was his pass in the build up for the penalty, wasn't it? Is a nice through ball. I think he's kind of adapting to different roles well. But what I thought was interesting, um, he's actually said during the Tottenham game by Gary Neville on commentary, Si, he said he made the point like City's defence is so unsettled this season. It seems like every game there's either a different centre-back partnership or, as Joe points out, it's only different full-back um, combinations. It, it does feel like this is the first season in quite some time where he ha- Guardiola hasn't kind of found or stumbled upon his ideal defence pairing or defence makeup for the league at least. And stuck with it for game after game after game. Obviously, we've had you know, Diaz on the port, Stones and Stones and Diaz, etc., and so on in recent years. And I feel like that that instability at the back might might be a a, a reason why they're not as um, defensively solid as they have been in recent years. Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it's just prove me wrong. Well, yeah, you just. I was talking to Julian Lescott about it, and he was kind of saying. Um, you know, you've always had these centre-back partnerships and these partnerships are what makes Premier League teams great. And he was like, now Guardiola's kind of got five centre-backs where he can just pick and choose any two for the specific demands of the game. And they come in and perform to the level that he demands. Um, you know, I get that you don't have the the sort of um, heightened communication if you've got the same back four and everyone knows uh, what everyone's doing, but it, it's kind of, I don't know, I, I do see the appeal of um, picking and choosing different centre-backs based on what the opponents are, are good or bad at, um, and I don't necessarily think the um, the sort of chopping and changing has, has hurt City too much, um, but it is, you know, a number of defenders have made individual errors that have cost City this season. Um, but then that includes Edison, who's played every game. So, it, yeah, I, I quite like the centre-back situation. Um, but it will be interesting to see now that Diaz comes back. Because we spoke to the manager about Diaz coming back and he, he sort of immediately brought up his leadership. Um, so you wonder whether whether Guardiola feels that City have been missing that. Because Diaz isn't the best defender at the club, I wouldn't say, but he's probably the best organiser of the defence. And he's the one to, 
you know, make sure that everyone is is doing the job and that kind of like camaraderie a few years ago of like celebrating every block and interception, that was that was pretty much Diaz leading things. So maybe there's a feeling that there's a bit of that missing. Mm. The desire he mentioned was missing, maybe was um, kind of instilled in Diaz. But, you know, as we say, it was a win, a good one at that. And now we kind of take a break from kind of Premier League action this week and return attentions to the FA Cup and what a match we have in store. The kind of the kind of curtain raiser, I guess, to the the big rivalry that we're going to get in the coming months. Of course, it will be City v Arsenal for the first time this season. We still have the two league meetings to go, but this one should prove to be quite fascinating, Joe, given given the kind of having like not friendly, obviously, because it means. It's um, obviously both teams would want to win the FA Cup, but sort of like a dress rehearsal for these league meetings that we're going to get and that are going to be so crucial in the title race. To kind of see them go at it, I'd imagine we're fairly strong teams and in their full flow, at least, you know, both coming off good wins. We'll talk about Arsenal's win in a moment, but... They can put, A loss isn't going to be like cost the season in this match, so it's kind of like a gloves-off not as much on the line version of the matches we are going to see. And I think it's going to be so interesting how how both teams approach it. Well, I think for City, it's they've always spoken about putting a run together and in, in the last few games before this week, they, they weren't looking like doing that. They've suddenly got themselves back to sort of two wins in a row. And I mean, they've got to look at it and, and, and go for the win. And I mean, normally in the FA Cup, you'd use it to play some sort of fringe players. Could this be the, the opportunity to bring back Cancelo and Walker, players like Bernardo, you could you would probably probably look at bringing Ruben Diaz back for a first appearance. Um, I'm thinking, you know, if Foden's fit, then then he will start. But Guardiola didn't seem overly confident when he said, you know, he, he's had this issue; it's reoccurred. Let's let's wait and see, and he might not play for Arsenal. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. You'd expect Julian Alvarez to play, and he he's. I mean, we're talking about. Erling Haaland before Julian Alves is playing really well at the moment, but because you can't drop Erling Haaland, then he's he's got to wait for these chances. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it will be interesting to see how strong City put the team out. They probably won't want to give too much away. I know Arteta and Arsenal know everything there is to know about City, but um, they'll probably want to hold a couple of things back for the the meeting in sort of three weeks at, at the Emirates. I, th- I think it'll be really interesting just the way that the league's gone and the fact that Arsenal are playing so well at the moment and, and so full of confidence are they going to maybe focus on the league are City going to think right well you know the league's not guaranteed ne- nothing's ever guaranteed in Europe is the FA Cup going to be City's best chance of a trophy this season I, I think it'll be a really interesting game I can see City approaching it I mean it's easy to say but just as they did against Chelsea which is bring some fringe players in but some very good players and take it very seriously and uh, and, and look to win they, they won't want to replay you know, City have some some free midweeks now, and they won't want that that being clogged up. So now I think it should be uh, a very very good game between sort of uh, the confident league leaders and the the team that are trying to close them down and have a point to prove. Sorry, what what kind of teams do you expect to see? Because I could kind of see a thought for Arsenal going either way. I could see them thinking, let's just play. You know, rotate a lot here. A loss doesn't you know focus on the league as Joe says. A loss 
a potential loss doesn't have to be a psychological blow if it's not against the main players. But then on the other hand, you, you, you're in such great form, the chance to get a first win over City before the league meetings could again in the opposite direction deal the blow. So how do you reckon both teams will kind of go about it? Yeah, I think City have sort of got better depth than Arsenal and especially the way the first team is looking at the minute, like, you know, bringing in Cancelo and Walker are the moves I can sort of see see happening and players like Bernardo Silva, well, you know, not so long ago they were three of the first names on the team sheet. So it's um I think City will be strong despite the rested players and yeah, bringing Alvarez in will be um another one who can who can expect to play and it, it's kinda lined up for Diaz to to come back as well. Uh, Arsenal, I really don't know. It's going to be so much fun to see what what goes on because, you know, if Arsenal were to win, then absolutely incredible. They take even more momentum. But if City beat them here, it really, really ramps it up for uh, them going to the Emirates two weeks later. Because at the minute, the title race is in City's hands because if they beat Arsenal home and away then uh, they will overtake them in in points. So, you know, as, as good as Arsenal have been and as incredible as Arsenal have been, like, City still aren't out of sight. You've got the manager going spare at the players and the fans and, and they're second and they're not out of sight by any means. And, and again, when you look for, like, Guardiola motives to last Thursday, you think, right, well, he gave, you know, the players and fans a bit of a rocket ahead of Wolves and then ahead of Arsenal. It's like thinking three moves three moves ahead. So on Friday night, the fans are going to be good. The Arsenal fans are going to be good because they've got a lot of tickets and and they're in great form. So it's going to be some atmosphere and City are going to come. Arteta knows City will have a strong team. Whoever plays, it's going to be a strong team. So the onus is on him to decide how strong he wants to go and whether he can afford to rest players for the momentum and the statement it would make for City if they were to beat them. That's exactly what I mean. I can I can kind of foresee, and it's quite a defeatist attitude, and Arsenal aren't in a defeatist mood, like how well they're playing and the form they're in, etc. Like, why would you kind of take the sort of um, lose up pessimistic mentality? But I can see, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of named a weakened team just so if they did lose this, it's not the end of the world and they can easily point towards, oh, Aldegaard wasn't playing, Saka wasn't playing. I, I, I expect like Smith-Rowe to come in, players like that maybe, and Pereira, of Vieira, isn't it, perhaps, and then the new lads they've signed, Trossard and that defender. Like, I can easily them seeing just dropping them, till, still aim to win, of course, play a good team, but have a, a ready-made excuse built in to not even let the confidence potentially drop ahead of the league games if they should lose. But obviously, winning would be such... you got full strength and win, then that's even more of a boost. But I do wonder if just being able to have that, oh, Odegaard, Saka, our best players, um, Saliba, our best players weren't playing. Wait till, you, wait till you play us with our full strength team, then we'll do you. I could I could see it, but the, you know, the psychological mind games are going to be so good. Because, of course, Arsenal are doing absolutely brilliant in the title race. They are five points ahead of City still with a game in hand, but I'm sure we all watched Sundays. I mean, maybe naturally, you were probably on duty, I'm not even sure. But they were excellent against United. Um, a 3-2 win did kind of flatter United. I think they had 25 shots to United 6. But to win in such late fashion, Joe, a galvanising... And not 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 a hint of controversy about it. A, a good late goal, 
um, a late goal they deserved and pretty much everyone could see coming, that sort of win is really the sort of um, sort of win that can, you know, as the cliche goes, kind of the making of champions sort of thing, the late wins, finding a way. It really does feel like the wind is in their sails in the title race, even though, as Sai says, City are still kind of looming like the uh, like the storm on the on the horizon. Yeah, and uh, the, I mean, you, you just saw the scenes at the end. We, we we've never seen that at the Emirates, really, have we? Unless it's maybe a win over over Tottenham or something. But I, it seems like with every sort of step they take, they get more confidence. And I, I'm I'm going to bore myself comparing it to to Leicester when they won the league. But the, it seems like they're just passing every test, and. Not so show no sign of of slowing down and and yes City can go and and win those two games but Arsenal have got that game in hand and uh, Arsenal can approach the games knowing that the, a draw would probably suit them as well so um, no I I continue to be impressed by them and you just got to look at Zinchenko's reaction to to setting up that that winning goal which was a, a very good pass into the area but also it, his sort of solo celebration into the crowd I saw a lot of City fans sort of bemoaning the fact that he wasn't there and that's your point that you made earlier but yeah I mean Guardiola was asked at the end of his rant on uh, on Thursday do you do you regret selling them and he said again no because I mean of all the teams to sell Jesus and, and uh, Zinchenko to Arsenal are probably the safest option at, in, the, in the summer because no one was necessarily expecting them to challenge for the title but then it's just happened that that they've gone and uh, played very key roles in, in, in doing it. And I, I was looking at Arsenal's fixtures, actually, and they've got, apart from City, in the next sort of 10 or so games, they've got relatively easy fixtures. They've played sort of Tottenham twice now, Arsenal. Um, I think until they play City in uh, April, that's only when they've sort of got any more relatively difficult games. I think they've got to go to Liverpool, but at the moment, Liverpool are not the team that they were. Exactly. So after City, they've got... I mean, it's the, them winning to the final six games of the season, but then they've got uh, Chelsea, Newcastle away, Brighton, Forest, who could be in a relegation scrap, and then Wolves. So I, I can't... I mean, when you're looking at are they going to drop points, it, City might be looking into the last six games of the season where they've got even a chance of overtaking Arsenal. So if if, if Arsenal can carry on, just keep that lead ahead, keep City at arm's length and and keep the pressure on City... Then we we've seen that City can sort of get in their own heads and 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 slip themselves up and and that could be their route to winning the title. But I mean the fixture list if if you're comparing both, I'd, I'd say Arsenal have a a better sort of spread of fixtures than than City do. What what do you make of the the win on Sunday, Sai, and uh, what how are you seeing the title race kind of pan out? Yeah, I thought they were great and you know very very good to not be content with two two to keep pushing, to, to realise that there was another goal and, you know, a chance to go at United again and then to get the goal. I mean, Odegaard's obviously in the form of his life. Um, the whole collective is is just so impressive and it feels like everything is is going their way. Um, they're making things happen and, and getting late goals, early goals. Uh, you know, how many times is Saka going to score that? That goal again, um, may, maybe more times than you'd think because he's class. But you know, st- still those those things that are coming off for them. Um, but that is why I just think Friday's game is so huge, and the um, then the game at the 
the Emirates because you know, like you say, it is the FA Cup. It's just maybe a distraction, and they can concentrate on the league. But if they, if they lose, but if they do lose, then it puts the pressure on for the the league game to not be like, well, you've now lost two in three. Are you cracking up two in four? Like, how how do you get back on this winning winning thing? And one thing we've not seen from them this season is kind of a reaction to a considerable setback because they've been so good that they've not had one. Um, mm, only defeat was to United months ago. I hardly remember it at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be, if City can put them in that position where people are saying, right, Arsenal, what have you got now? Because, like, we all know the Arsenal of the last five, ten years, so we're all waiting for that Arsenal to turn up and sort of disappear in the final few months of the season and finish third or fourth. But there are no signs of it happening. Um, but if City can beat them once, twice in the next two two or three weeks, then um, that will really, really, really test them. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, who's favourites for the title? I think Arsenal I think it's going to be minute, Arsenal. Yeah, um, but like I say, for City to not be completely out of sight, you worry. You worry if you're Arsenal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's certainly hot enough and it's certainly going to be thrilling and we can't wait for Friday's match either. But just before we go, a bit of rare and unexpected transfer news on the City front. I don't think any of us saw this coming. A City have signed, well, maybe we did say they'd get a, a young player in from somewhere, but they've, they've struck again that um, vast scouting network in bringing in Maximo Peroni from Vélez-Starfeld on a five-and-a-half-year deal. Joe, what can you tell us about this lad, if anything? Because I've never heard of him, to be honest with you. <laughs> until, he, until City signed him, that is. Well, I've, I've spent my morning looking at his stats and his, his videos, and he played overnight, actually, for, for Argentina in the under-20 championships and didn't really have the best game because he gave the ball away for one goal and then got booked for simulation towards the end, and they lost 3-0 to Brazil, and they're hopes of qualifying are hanging by a thread now because they've lost two games in a row but he did score in the other game he's a deep line midfielder he says he wants to play like Sergio Busquets get on the ball pass it around um, but he has popped up with a couple of goals for uh, Velez and, and Argentina under 20s now and yeah I mean Simon will know more than me about the plans that City have for him but he seems like a uh, a decent prospect uh, a lot of teams have been interested in him and um City have not done badly out of the last young Argentinian they signed for relatively little money. So, um, yeah, if they can, if, if, if this is the new tactic of, of getting sort of young players and uh, giving them the chance and then seeing how they progress, then, uh, you know, it's it's not a not a bad tactic. And he looks like uh, he's he's ambitious. And, and what I would say is he, he's a position that City don't really have in that sort of age range. They've let Romeo Lavia go, Tommy Doyle's out on loan. In in the academy, there's not really a sort of holding midfielder that's that's necessarily going to come through. Shea Charles is there, but I mean, he's he's played more games for Northern Ireland than he has uh, professionally for, for a club. So no, if, if City were looking to strengthen a position in, in sort of the that age range, then defensive midfield would probably be it. And uh, yeah, he'll get a few months now to, to show the, the coaches what he can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, around eight million or so. It's probably the cheapest Peroni you can actually get in Manchester City <laughs> centre um, at the minute. But the, you know, the, the question does remain, Simon. I've been honestly, I was like, my head was like, I'm surprised you've not seen steam coming out of my ears trying to think of that really quick before you came back to me. And I've kind of just ruined the really cool. But 
I never claimed to be cool. Uh, so the question is though, will Peroni ever actually step foot in Manchester? What are that you know we've seen so many players get signed. I remember a few years ago, Ante Palaversa as one example, and this absolute kind of legion of players City have got on the books, but will never. Um, never make it to the City Football Academy and just spend the next five years of the career on loan at various clubs, be they um, in the City Football Group or otherwise. Um, is there is going to be a similar tale for Peroni or is he going to be uh, coming round to City relatively soon? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement from a lot of fans because, yeah, it's a signing and not only is it a signing, but it's an Argentinian and we know how good Argentinians are because Alvarez is there. Um yeah, I mean, he will train with the first team squad for the remainder of the season once he's finished at the under 20s. I think the fact that he's been allowed to stay at the under 20 championships tells you that they're not desperate for him. Um, they've got Rodri and they've got Calvin Phillips. I don't think he will be getting ahead of them anytime soon. Um, and also, yeah, like Romeo Lavia is kind of the standard. If, the, if you've got someone as good as Lavia who you're saying, right, you're not going to get get minutes, then um, I would be surprised if Peroni does enough to um, to stay at the club next season rather than, than go out on loan. Um, however, there is that Alvarez albatross hanging there where um, he wasn't necessarily expected to be in Manchester this season and then he was so good that they decided, yes, he can stay. Um, so there's every chance he could um, stick around next season, but I think more likely he's going to go out on loan somewhere and try and get some some regular football in Europe. Is Peroni particularly tall or not? Because if he's a quite small, pint-sized Peroni, 100% the nickname going forward. <laughs> Just thought of another one there. But, dear listeners, that will, be, on that horrible note, will bring the latest episode of the Talkie City podcast to a close. Thank you all very much for listening. And if you'd like to watch this podcast in living colour, you can go all over to our new YouTube channel, Manchester Evening News-Man City, and get that and a whole host of other video content to keep you occupied. So please go over and give that a cheeky subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, we look forward to Friday's massive game against Arsenal. If you want to get all the latest coverage and expert analysis on the game, you go score over to ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can follow us on Twitter at ManCityMEN and our Facebook page is Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. We will be back next week to die, dive all into the Arsenal game and hopefully it will be as thrilling as it promises to be. But until then, it's goodbye for now. So, ta-ra! Yeah.